Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Today we're talking about the differences between a healthy and an unhealthy relationship. So Leslie, tell me, what is a healthy relationship? What does it look like? Before we can identify what an unhealthy relationship is, I think it's really important that we can know some of the features of healthy relationships. Just like bankers study genuine money, genuine $100 bills or genuine $20 bills so that when a counterfeit bill comes across their desk or across their cash register, they can immediately see, oh, this doesn't look right. Or medical students study healthy hearts, they study healthy ears, they study healthy bones, so that when something's off or something doesn't sound right or something is not ticking right or doesn't look right or is broken, they can easily spot that even if it's a crack, because they're really well acquainted with what healthy looks like. So in the same way, I think it's really important that we, as we're delving into the dark side of relationships and looking at unhealthy and toxic and destructive relationships, that we have a clear understanding of what healthy looks like, because the Bible is very clear on that. And unfortunately, we don't do a lot of teaching. I remember growing up when I was in my youth group, basically, the advice was, if he's a boy and he loves Jesus, he's good. Husband material. There was no other criteria other than maybe he can you know, support you can have a good job. But basically, it was nothing about their character, nothing about their personality, nothing was talked about how this relationship is supposed to work other than he's the head and you're, you know, to submit. But other than that, it was very vague. And so I think that it's time that we really educate um, people of faith and people in the church, especially young people what healthy relationships look like, because the rates for abuse among teens is skyrocketing. And if we don't educate young women and young men about what healthy relationships look like, they're going to get their view from Hollywood and Harlequin and rap music, which is awful in terms of their degradation and disrespect of women. So Leslie, are there any key ingredients then? I mean, what do you look for in a relationship? What do you want? Well, I think there's three key ingredients necessary for any relationship to be healthy. And those key ingredients are mutuality reciprocity, and freedom. Let me unpack that a little bit, because I think that it's really important that we understand what we mean by these three ingredients. And this is true if you're having a relationship with a professional, or you're having a relationship with your girlfriend, or you're having a relationship with your pastor or your teacher. Um, It's not a romantic relationship. It's just a healthy ingredients for any relationship to flourish. So the first one is mutuality. In order for a relationship to flourish, there needs to be two people at least, who are contributing mutually to the health and welfare of that relationship. They may not be contributing in the same way, especially if it's a professional relationship. One's the teacher, one's the student, or one's the doctor, one's the patient, but they are mutually contributing. So the doctor is contributing his expertise and the patient is contributing her feedback, her honesty about her health. She's contributing to paying the bill. All those things are required for that relationship to be healthy. But in a personal relationship, I think there needs to be some key ingredients. So there needs to be mutual honesty. If two people are not honest in the relationship, it can't be healthy. There needs to be mutual care. If there's not two people caring for each other in the relationship, one person can care, but it's more like ministry to that person, not relationship. And then there needs to be mutual respect. 
if only one person is honest and one person is caring and one person is respectful and the other person is indifferent, disrespectful, and not honest, that can't possibly be a healthy relationship. So we want mutual honesty, mutual caring, mutual respect, and mutual responsibility for the care and the maintenance of the relationship. This is a myth in especially marriages, that if it was meant to be, if I married the right person, this relationship shouldn't take any work. But that's just not true. All relationships take work, even healthy relationships. Just like it takes work to maintain a healthy body and a clean body, every day you have to brush your teeth or you're going to have bad breath, or every day you need to put deodorant on and shower so that you look your best. The relationship itself needs maintenance and care. An analogy I use that often helps men understand this is let's say that you built a brand new home. It's beautiful, just like a brand new marriage, a brand new relationship. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You love it. It works. Everything is perfect. But that only lasts so long. And then the sink gets full of dirty dishes and the counter gets full of crumbs and the stove gets full of crumbs and the floor gets full of crumbs and dog hair and the garbage is overflowing and the garden has weeds and the grass needs mowing and the light bulbs need changing and on and on and on. The toilets need flushing. And if you don't do that regular maintenance work, how wonderful is your house going to be to live in in one month, in one year? And in addition to maintenance, everything breaks down. That's just the law of nature, that what we don't maintain and repair deteriorates. If you see a restaurant that goes out of business and that restaurant is just left, pretty soon the windows are broken, the roof is falling off, the weeds are overgrown. It looks like a mess. And so when you don't tend a relationship with maintenance and repairs and you don't mutually take responsibility for that, the relationship doesn't last. And so If a house not only needs maintenance, it also needs repairs. The toilet breaks, the roof leaks, termites invade. And if you don't do the repair work and you just ignore it and hope it goes away, we're not going to really talk about the porn problem. We're really not going to talk about the lie. We're really not going to talk about the affair because it's uncomfortable. Is like saying, I'm not going to talk about the termites because it's uncomfortable. Of course, it's uncomfortable. But if you don't talk about the termites, and more importantly, if you don't deal with the termites, guess what's going to happen to the house? And the same is true of a relationship. So for a healthy relationship, you need mutuality, mutual honesty, caring, respect, mutual responsibility for the maintenance and the repair of the relationship and mutual repentance when you do something that harms the person that you say you care about. So that first ingredient, mutuality, is critical. So often I've heard this idea that the maintenance of a relationship is date night you plan a date and they're romantic with you, that whole kind of love and respect type of thing. That's not what you're talking about, is it? Well, it could be a part of maintenance, just like a part of maintenance in a house is planting flowers. You want it to look pretty, right? So part of maintenance in a relationship could be fun things to do. You go hiking together, you go on a date night, you have a romantic evening, but there's more to maintenance than just that. The biggest myth and misconception that I see in Christian books and counseling about this is when the house doesn't need maintenance, it needs repairs. So let's say there's termites in the basement. And because there's termites in the basement, you've got rotten wood all over the place. So painting the bedroom wall or cleaning up the dishes is fine for maintenance, but it's not going to repair the termites. It's not going to repair the rotten wood in the basement that the termites have eaten. And if you don't deal with that issue, 
it doesn't matter how pretty your bedroom is or how you know many flowers you get. The relationship is still going to break down. The house is still going to deteriorate because you're not addressing the issue. And even here's the subtle difference. So you've got termites and you've got the damage termites caused. So let's talk about real relationship problems. You've got an affair that happened or is happening or porn that's happened or happening. And then you've got the damage that it's caused, the broken relationship, the broken wood that the termites caused. If you just fix the broken wood, but you don't deal with the termites, guess what's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to have more broken wood. So in marriage counseling, oftentimes when an affair becomes exposed or there's a porn problem or there's abuse or there's chronic deceit and one spouse is like, I'm done. I don't trust this person. And then Christian counseling is, well, let's put this marriage back together and let's have you know the date nights and let's do maintenance. You can't do maintenance when you need repair work. It doesn't solve the problem of the repairs. It might feel good for a moment, but it doesn't solve the termite problem. But then the worst thing they do is try to rebuild the broken beams rebuild trust without ever making sure the termites are gone. And if you don't make sure the termites are gone, rebuilding broken trust is a waste of time. And it gives someone false hope that our house is stable when there's still termites there. And so this is so important. And so every healthy relationship needs mutuality in that we're working on the relationship. We're repairing the relationship in a mutual way. So just because he stops watching porn doesn't make everything suddenly okay. No. And how do you know he stopped watching porn? How do you know the termites are gone? You need some sort of treatment plan, right? You don't just say, oh, termites be gone. Or just because he says, well, I broke up with that lady. Now you have a great marriage again. Absolutely not. And we're going to be talking about those specifics in this podcast. But just because he broke up with that lady, the question is, why was that lady in his life in the first place? Right. And how do I know that he's not going to have another lady when he gets lonely or he gets angry or he gets bored or he gets tired of me? So unless he does that work of his, the termites in his heart, right? how can you trust him again? So mutuality is really, really important. The second ingredient important in all relationships is reciprocity. We may have different functions and roles in a relationship, just like a doctor and a patient or an employer and employee or a husband and wife, we may do different things. But if there's not shared power and shared responsibility for that relationship, so if I don't have a say in my doctor's ear and say, that didn't work, or I don't like that medicine, or you know that treatment plan isn't going to work for me because I'm allergic to this. If my doctor's not listening to me, if I don't have any shared power to influence his life, I'm not going to keep that doctor. But in marriage, oftentimes what happens is a woman doesn't have any power. She's got a lot of responsibility, but the roles are that she's to listen to her husband and has no voice of her own, that she's worth less than his voice, that her input is worth less. Now, in a healthy relationship, that wouldn't be true. Even if you're a complementarian and you believe in headship and submission, a husband would value his wife's voice because he knows she's got his back. He knows and believes that she wants the best for him. So when she's telling him, hey, your zipper's down, or you've got a booger coming out of your nose, he's not angry at her for telling him that. He's grateful. But what if she tells him, hey, you're being harsh with the kids? Or, hey, I feel neglected. And she doesn't have any power to say that without a fight or a shutdown or a silent treatment or a squashing of her voice, then there's not reciprocity in this relationship. There's not shared power and responsibility. One of the ways this is most evident in unhealthy relationships is financially. So oftentimes in a marriage, 
one person uh, makes more money than the other, or they've agreed that maybe the wife will stay home and homeschool the children and the husband will make the money. They're both contributing to the welfare of the household by her homeschooling the children and him making the money. But somehow in his mind, it's his money. And she has no voice, no choice, or no power about how that money is spent or saved, or even how much money it is, or where the money is. I remember working with a woman who was married to a physician who was doing a lot of wonderful things as a physician. He was doing missions trips and a lot of volunteer service to third world countries, great things. But at home, he was a little tyrant, a little dictator. His wife was well-educated, but they had decided together that she would homeschool their six children. And he was a miser with the money and very controlling. She had no access to any credit cards, any bank accounts, any ATM cards. He would give her cash every week that she was allowed to use as she saw fit, but it was a small amount and she had to pay for everything. Now that worked okay when he was home, because if she needed extra money, she could go to him and say, Hey, we had two doctor's appointments this week and the kids needed shoes and I need more money. But if he were traveling on a missions trip for three weeks or four weeks or five weeks, and she ran out of money, there was no place for her to go to get extra money. Now here's a, a woman who's in a relationship with a, a man. She's married to this man. And yet she has no voice, no choice, no power about their mutual finances. There's something really unhealthy about that part of their relationship and probably other parts as well, but that specific part. You know, Paul talks a lot about mutuality and reciprocity in the scriptures in marriage, especially significant because it's a very patriarchal culture. So for example, when he's saying in 1 Corinthians 7, your body is not your own, which is often used as a passage to get women to say, you have no right to say no to sex. What really is radical about that passage is the word likewise. So he's equaling the patriarchal playing field where men, of course, were over their wives. Wives, of course, knew their conjugal duties. That wasn't news to them. What was news is husbands, you have the same responsibilities to your wife. You have the same, um, they have power over your body, just like you have power over their body. It's not your power over them and they have no power. This power is mutual and reciprocal. Let's listen to a verse in Corinthians where he's talking to churches who are giving sacrificially to other churches, which we would value as Christians. Yes, sacrifice yourself. But listen to what he says that equates a healthy relationship with sacrifice and with giving to others in need. He says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15. He says, for I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, that there may be fairness. Even in the church that is sacrificially giving, he's not saying you don't do that without any boundaries. So we want to have mutuality. We want to have reciprocity in a healthy relationship where power and responsibility are shared. Can you give me an idea of what a good balance of power looks like? How do you know when it's off in your home? I think when you have no voice, or no choice, or if you try to exercise an opinion of your own that's different than your spouse and you're punished for that, that shows that you don't have as much power to be of influence. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to be influencers of one another. We are to have voices in each other's lives. In Hebrews, it says, let us encourage one another day after day, lest any one of us become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that we're to speak into each other's lives about what we see 
in a spirit of gentleness and humility, for sure. But we are to have the freedom to speak into each other's lives. And that's a reciprocal relationship. I speak into your life. You speak into my life. I give you encouragement. You give me encouragement. I share something with you that may be hard for you to hear because it says faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? So sometimes we have to speak hard words, not harsh words, but hard words to someone. You know, even if my husband hands me a, a, a breath mint while I'm in public and he says, here, you need this, you know? <laughs> You know, he doesn't want me to embarrass myself by talking to somebody with horrible dragon breath. And so I appreciate that, but it's still hard to hear that your breath stinks, but your spouse hopefully has your back. And so when they say to you, Hey, you're being harsh or you're not managing our money well, or why aren't you paying the taxes? You're being negligent here. This concerns me. This makes me anxious. If we're not allowed to speak about those things, or we don't have any decision-making power in the relationship, it's not a healthy relationship. Now, We'll do a whole podcast on the whole topic of headship and submission, but this is where headship and submission gets really out of balance in the Bible. Because I remember when I was getting married, Julie, my pastor said, now you understand. So here I'm a college educated woman. I've got my master's degree in counseling. My husband's college educated. He has his master's degree, but somehow he's smarter than me now. And I'm not allowed to have a voice or a choice. Your husband gets to make the final decision and everything, Leslie, you have to submit. I mean, that was the word of having a healthy marriage is, yeah. hey, now you don't have a voice and you don't have a choice because your husband gets the final say in everything. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches about headship. And we'll talk about that specifically in a future podcast, because that's not how Jesus taught headship to his disciples, that you get to decide everything and you get to rule over people with authority and no voice and no choice from the people under you. In fact, headship was described as servanthood, not oppression. And so when you're in an oppressive relationship with anyone, it can't be a healthy one. So if someone is listening and realizes she's in a relationship that doesn't have much reciprocity, how does she negotiate about it? We'll talk about this in future podcasts about how to do that. But the first thing that you need to recognize is that when you're in a power struggle with someone who's attached to their power, and we've seen it politically in our culture recently, they're not going to give up their power very easily. For example, when slaves in the 1800s began to resist oppression over them, their owners did not say, oh my gosh, you're making a really good point. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They resisted giving up their power. When Martin Luther King was teaching that racism was not of God, even though slavery had been outlawed for years, there was still a lot of racism going on. And he was saying, hey, Black people aren't nobodies, they're somebodies, and they deserve to be treated with respect. And he resisted that oppression in positive, good ways, but he was still squashed he was murdered. So I, I don't want people to think when you're trying to resist someone oppressing you, that that oppressor is going to say, you're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, exactly. you know, let's share power. And that makes it especially dicey if he's your husband. But what I am saying, and we'll talk about how to do that in a future podcast, but what I am saying, it's impossible to have a healthy, loving relationship with someone who is your oppressor. Okay. So if you are in a slave-master relationship, including in marriage, it's hard for you to have a healthy relationship with someone where you don't have a voice and you don't have a choice. And that goes to our third ingredient, which is freedom. All right. So God has created every single one of his creatures, male and female, in his image. And in that image, one of the hallmarks is the freedom of choice. In order to establish an I, who I am, you have to be able to say no. 
because I'm different than you. No, I don't want that. No, I don't like that. Even babies. When babies are born, psychologists know that they don't see themselves as different than their mother. They just see themselves as part of their mother. They were always part of their mother. And even outside the womb, they still feel part of their mother. Your breast is mine. Your body is mine. That's how they see it until they don't. And how do you know they don't see it anymore? Because now they can run away from mommy. Now they can say no to mommy. Now they can say, I don't want to do that, mommy. And I'm separate from you. So I'm going to go run and do what I want to do. Right. And so that separateness, that beginning of identity starts with an I. I am different. I want this. I don't want this. And therefore, we have to have the freedom to express that. We have to have the freedom to say, I'm different. I don't want that. I don't like that. And if you don't have the freedom to do that in a relationship, because if you do, you're going to be punished or clobbered or guilt-tripped, or spiritualized into you're being a bad person, or you're not being a submissive wife, or you're being a rebellious spirit, or you have a Jezebel spirit inside of you. If that's what happens to you when you're exercising your God-given freedom to be you, then that's an unhealthy relationship, even if you're married to someone. Freedom when you're married doesn't mean you get to go on dating relationships with other people, because when you married someone, you freely chose to limit your freedoms in that direction. But you didn't say, Once I become married, I'm going to become a robot with no voice and no choice. You didn't say that. You are an individual made in the image of God, and you have ideas, and you have thoughts, and you have dreams and desires of your own. And marriage isn't meant to squash those. Marriage is meant to enhance those. Give me some examples of what freedom looks like in a real, everyday marital situation. So here's some examples. So i been a women's retreat leader for, for years and years and years. I don't do so much of that anymore, but, but I used to do a lot of women's retreats and it always would put the hair up on my neck when a woman would say, well, I'll have to ask my husband if I can go. Like, why would you have to ask your husband if you can go? Right. You're not a child needing permission. I certainly understand why you would ask your husband if he has a problem with you going in terms of schedule or childcare, those kind of things. So how do we negotiate this? If I really want to go, is this going to hurt your schedule at all? Or is this going to compromise things? But if I have to ask my husband permission, that feels to me like you're asking your daddy permission if you can go to the movies, right? I mean, why would you have to ask your husband permission to go on a dinner party with your friends or have a friend? Like I have to ask my husband permission if I can go shopping or garage sailing with my friend on Saturday morning. Why? Why would you have to ask his permission? So I think that's a big red flag for me that you're not exercising your own humanity, your own adultness to say, I want to go garage sailing with my friend. Is there a problem with you watching the kids? And he might say, yes, because I scheduled a golf game. All right, then you have to work that through and compromise. But now you're mutually compromising the care of your children together. It's not that it's assumed he gets to do what he wants and you have to always watch the kids, but that each of you on weekends share some responsibility for parenting because you're both parents and you don't have to ask your husband to parent your kids. He is the parent. If someone is realizing, well, that's me. I have to ask my husband for permission to do just about anything. What are some words she can start using to exercise more freedom in her marriage? 
Well, I think before she does that externally, like what are the words? People always say, Leslie, what are the words? You should write a book on what are the words to say. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think you have to do the work internally because you already know the words. No. No is the shortest <laughs> sentence, right? But you haven't used those words. And so it's not that you don't have words to use. You haven't used them because you're afraid of something. You're afraid of his disapproval. You're afraid you're going to get a guilt trip. You're afraid he's going to resist. You're afraid that he won't want to, and then you'll feel bad. And it, whatever it is, you're afraid of something that you have to face and deal with before you can use those words externally. So I'll just share a story that woke me up to this. So here I am, a Christian. I'm a Christian counselor. I'm working in a counseling practice. I know the words. I know the words. So we go to dinner with some friends and they drive and it's about an hour away. And he comes to our house and picks us up. And he's got this great big glass of iced tea. You know, he's drinking and, you know, everybody brings a water bottle or something these days. So, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Drives us to the restaurant. While we're in the restaurant, we, we had never gone out to dinner with this couple before. But while we're at the restaurant, he orders two or three cocktails. I can't remember. But he had this big glass of iced tea. So now I'm beginning to wonder, I wonder if something was in that iced tea. Now we're passengers in this car. We have two small children at home uh -huh. that are being babysat. And I'm thinking, are he drank two cocktails now? Did he drink anything beforehand? He's not acting intoxicated, but obviously he might be intoxicated. I know the words to say, hey, I'm not comfortable with you driving. You drank two cocktails. I'd like to drive or my husband would like to drive home. But I didn't say it. Why? Because I was afraid. I was afraid of offending my friend. I was afraid of them thinking I was accusing him of being drunk when he didn't obviously look drunk. I mean, I was afraid of him being angry with us. I was afraid of him not wanting to be our friend anymore. Of course, we all get into those jams, right? And so it's not that I didn't have the freedom to say something. I did. I just did it because I was afraid. So before I give words to what to say, because you know what to say, I think you have to face your internal fears of if I say it, what's going to happen? right? So if you say to your husband, for example, you know, I've begun to realize that I'm very tentative with you lately. And I feel like I'm being a little girl asking for permission. And I don't want to do that anymore. So Susie and I would like to go to a women's retreat this weekend or three months from now. And I'd like to put it on the calendar and I'd like you to change your schedule so that you watch the kids that weekend. Is there a problem with that? All right. That's how an adult would ask another adult to share mutually and reciprocally, some responsibilities of household work with the family responsibilities there, right? And he may say no, or he may say, well, I don't want you to go. Well, why don't you want me to go? Because I think you should be home with me and the kids on the weekends. Well, okay, I am home with you and the kids most weekends. But this weekend, I really want to go on a women's retreat. I need some time with girlfriends too. Well, I don't want you to go. Well, I want to go. This is important to me. This is where you're going to have to use your voice to say, I'm different than you, not you're misogynistic, you're you know, oppressing me, not those kind of words, but hey, I want to go. This is important to me. Now, here's where you hear whether it's a healthy relationship or a destructive relationship. If it doesn't matter to him what's important to you, then you're not in a healthy relationship. So when you say, this is important to me, I want to do this, whether it's, I want to get a job, I want to go back to school, I want to go to a Windsor retreat, I want an hour off to go take a walk, it's important to me to go exercise, and his needs always come first, his feelings always come first, your needs don't matter, you're an object, 
That is a toxic, unhealthy relationship. And we will spend a lot of time in this podcast talking about those. So Leslie, what if someone is listening and realizes she's missing one or more of these ingredients in her relationships? Well, then I think it's time to do that self-reflection and self-evaluation, what's missing. So I remember working with a man, for example, who recognized that he didn't have the freedom to be himself, that he was so passive. He was weak as a person. He had never developed himself as a person. And it would be very easy to blame his wife and saying, oh, she's controlling, she's domineering me. But the only way she could domineer him and control him was because he let her. And so part of his work was to begin to find his voice and begin to develop his personhood. And so part of what we were working on in counseling together was for him to communicate with his wife what he liked and what he didn't like and what he wanted and what he didn't want without demonizing her. And so I think recognizing that it's not about fixing the other person. You need to give me more freedom. It's about you saying, this is what I need. This is what I want. So this is what this man told his wife. He said, I've been working a lot on myself. I've been depressed a lot. And I realize I'm a very passive person. And I've let you make all of the decisions for, for me, including picking out my clothes and buying my own underwear. And I don't like it. I feel like a very emasculated person. And it's not your fault. It's mine because I've just been too quiet and I've been too passive. And so for me to feel like a whole person, I need to start taking ownership of my life back and start picking out my clothes, picking out the food I want to eat, telling you what I like and what I don't like. And that may cause some stress between us because you're not used to me changing. But in order for me to get healthy, I have to start speaking up. And you see how that changes things? He didn't blame her. He didn't accuse her. He didn't attack her. He took responsibility for him, him allowing himself to be in such an unhealthy dynamic for so long. And so for a woman or a person who's recognizing that, whether it's your parent has dominated you as an adult and has kind of told you what to do and you've allowed it, or your husband or your spouse has dominated and controlled you and you've allowed it, this is your moment. This is your moment to say, wow, why have I allowed it? Like, why did I allow this person to drive home? Right? Why did I allow it? I was sitting in the back seat and I said to my husband, if we die and leave our kids orphans, I'm going to be so mad at myself (laughs) because I didn't speak up. It wasn't his problem. It was my problem. And so once we begin to own that, we can do something about our own problem and trying to correct the relationship. Now, whether the other person is open to hearing us or not, that will affect the future of the relationship. But if we want to move from unhealthy to healthy, then we have to start moving ourselves from unhealthy to healthy. Because once you start dancing differently, it's like the dance. Okay, so we're doing a destructive dance together and I'm dancing just like they are. So it's working. But once I stop dancing that way and saying, hey, this dance isn't working for me anymore. I don't like it when you're stepping on my toes. This isn't working for me. It's not fun. They can't keep dancing the same way. I'm not saying they don't try to manipulate you into going back into the old dance. And this is where you may need some help or some coaching or some you know, support from your girlfriends or, or guy friends to stick with your boundaries and say, hey, I love you. I'd love to be in a relationship with you, but I'm not going back to that. So if we can forge a new pathway together, I'm willing to do that, but I'm not willing to function like a child anymore who doesn't have a voice and doesn't have a choice. Leslie, would you pray for us, please, and for people who are lacking some of these ingredients in their relationships and who are realizing that they have some of their own personal work to do as well? Father God, we know that your heart is for relationships. Your heart is for healthy relationships, loving relationships, 
safe relationships, trusting relationships. And so many of our relationships get broken because of our immaturity and because of our sin and because of our inability to handle feedback from someone else that we don't like to hear. Lord, I just pray for anyone who's listening that recognizes that they are in an unhealthy relationship and they want it to be different. Lord, help them to focus on doing their work first, identify what is in them that is afraid of being honest, afraid of asking for something, afraid of saying no. Lord, help them to be a God-centered person instead of a husband-centered or parent-centered or wife-centered person. Lord, that we are not to live to please another person. You tell us that the fear of man is a snare. And so, Lord, help us to push ourselves to grow into healthy people who have healthy, good, not perfect, but healthy relationships, loving relationships, safe relationships with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's all for this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Right now, I invite you to head over to lesliewernick.com forward slash challenge to be part of our Moving Beyond Challenge. Learn how to move beyond overwhelm, negative thinking, and even the fear of failure. That's lesliewernick.com forward slash challenge. And if you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to hit that follow button. And we would appreciate if you would leave your honest rating and review of this podcast. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.